Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I will say this. It's a lot different standing here than it is sitting there. Um, as Mr. Falk mentioned a couple times, I, my name is Seth Hauer. I graduated in 2020, um, so the awful year of COVID. It wasn't that awful. Uh, some things sucked, but we made it through it. Um, I'm down at Calvary, as he mentioned, uh, Calvary University. It's a great place. I'll, I'll talk about it more later. Um, I am getting my master's degree and my bachelor's degree at the same time. So I'm finishing up my third year right now, uh, but I will have three years left. And so I'll get my bachelor's in pastoral ministries and my master's degree in divinity when it's all said and done. Uh, great time. That's all I can say. Um, I'll talk more about it and, and the benefits of, of Calvary and, and the options we have later. But right now I want to get into the passage because that's what we're here for this morning. Today, we're going to look at Mark 13, the, the entirety of the chapter, which may seem like a lot, but it breaks down really nicely. And I want to talk about today, who can we trust when life comes at us, and, and simply just who can we trust at any time. But before uh, I get any further, I just, I just want to pray real quick over our time this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another day, another morning to wake up, to praise you, and to learn from your word. God, I pray that as I speak, you use me and you work through me. Help my words to fall on soft hearts and, and open ears, God, not only for, for everyone in the audience, but also for me, God. This is for me just as much as it is for everyone else. Um, help me to learn, help everyone to learn something new from your word today. In your name I pray, amen. Well, like I said, I want to look about look at Mark 13 and see who can we trust in life because life is hard. And the thing Mark 13 ultimately teaches us, because I don't want to I don't want to have to take the time to read it all. Um, I'll read through bits and pieces as I speak. But the thing Mark 13 ultimately teaches us is that we can trust Jesus. When we don't know where to turn, when we don't know who to trust, Jesus is who we can trust. Jesus prophesied things in Mark 13 that have already taken place in history. We see that in the first two verses um, where it says, As he was going out of the temple, verse 1, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. And Jesus replied to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now, Jesus is leaving the temple here with his disciples after spending some time worshiping uh, as, as they ritually had to do as Jews. And he's walking out and one of his disciples turns him and says, Jesus, look at this great and magnificent building that we're walking out of. Now, the temple was truly massive. The stones that would build the temple weighed about two to three tons each. That's, what, 4,000 to 6,000 pounds. Each single stone that built this temple was that big. There were massive walls within the temple that split part and part. There were multiple layers to this temple that you had to walk through just to get to where you needed to be. It was just a magnificent structure. It was, it was huge. 
And Jesus turns to, to the disciple who just said that and says, yeah, it's, it's magnificent. It's beautiful. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to be standing here in years. Jesus says that he acknowledges the fact that this temple is, is beautiful and it's massive and, and it's glorious. But then he turns and says, you know what? I'm going to prophesy that it will be destroyed. It will no longer be standing here in the future. He says in verse 2, not one stone will be left upon another. All of them will be thrown down. And then this pro prophecy, we, can, we know it to be true. We've seen it. In AD 70, the Romans stormed Jerusalem and destroyed this temple. And at the end of it, not one stone was left. They had all been thrown down. We can trust Jesus because that's one prophecy in this chapter that's already taken place. We've seen it come to pass. There's another prophecy right after, or a little bit after this. There's a, there's a little break. But in verses 9 to 13, Jesus gives another prophecy that we've seen starting to take place. And in verses 9 to 13, Jesus predicts that persecution will come for his children. He, he predicts that at the end of the days, at the end of the age, of life, persecution will be there. One thing Jesus says in verse 9 and, and a little bit into 10 is that, that Jesus' children will stand before governors and kings because of him as a witness to those kings and those governors. We've seen that fulfilled in, in a lot of different ways. In Acts 23 to 28, you guys don't have to turn there, Paul spends those five, six chapters basically in front of courts and in front of judges and, and governors the entire time. He spends that entire time witnessing about Jesus Christ. There's literally not one break from Paul witnessing in six chapters. He may travel, but he's still witnessing. That's exactly what Jesus is claiming. Jesus is saying that we are going to have to spend time in front of courts. Paul has fulfilled it. Christians are still fulfilling this prophecy today. We see multiple times that, that believers are in front of courts witnessing for Jesus Christ and his standard. We see that with, with believers who are standing in front of courts arguing against abortion, arguing against homosexuality. They're there witnessing for God and his standard, showing Christ to the world. Jesus said we would be giving witness in courts. That's what we're doing. Witnessing for Christ and for his standard. And the Holy Spirit will give us what to say because one day we'll all have to stand in front of someone like that and witness for what Christ is and his standard. But we don't have to be afraid because the Holy Spirit will supply. We can trust that because Jesus says so. And then at the end of this, this prophecy of persecution, Jesus talks about how people will betray one another even to death. We see that all the time. It's sad to hear, but it's true. 
in war and in just regular life. We see people betraying one another just to get ahead in life. We see people killing one another just to get ahead in life. This prophecy, we can see it. Jesus, is, Jesus prophesies this persecution right after he gives a brief look at the signs of the coming tribulation and the signs of the end of the age. And so these persecutions will come right then, but we see them now, too. And we can trust Jesus because we've seen it. We've seen these persecutions. And more will come. And we have proof of Jesus' truth and his trustworthiness in these prophecies, these two that we've already seen happen in life. But there's other prophecies Jesus gives in, in Mark 13 that we haven't seen yet. Jesus prophesies about the coming tribulation, his millennial reign, all kinds of stuff. So how do we deal with those? Because we haven't seen them. So can we still trust that it's coming? Can we still trust that this prophecy is true? And the answer is absolutely. We have to trust because Jesus said it. We've already established that Jesus is trustworthy. We've seen two prophecies that have already happened. We can, we can see it. We've literally read about it in history books. We've read about it in the Bible. We've seen it. So, we have to be ready for what is to come. Jesus gives prophecies about what's coming, so now it's time to be ready for it. So, because we've seen his credibility, we have to expect and be fully ready for everything that's about to happen. Jesus prophesies about signs of the end times. Signs that are coming before the tribulation before the end of time. And we see these in, in verse 3 all the way to verse 8. Where Jesus especially is, is prophesying about these things in verse 5 through 8. Where Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place. But it is not yet the end. And then in verse 8, he says, For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. So Jesus prophesies that earthquakes, famines, false teachers, those are what's going to usher in this time, this end time. He prophesies that these things will come before the tribulation. And so we can trust that. We can trust that it's going to happen, and we have to be ready for it. One thing I do want to mention is I've heard it talked about a lot that we're in the end times now because we have wars and we hear of wars all the time. But the thing is, this isn't true because in verse 7, Jesus says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. 
this is not the end. So yeah, we live in this world of, of war and of rampage, and it's okay to be scared of it. It's war. But that doesn't mean it's the, the tribulations knocking at the door and it's right there. It may be, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying that because there's war, tribulation is coming right now. That's not part of the birth pains. Earthquakes, famines, and false teachers, those are the beginning of birth pains. Another thing then in verse 14, another prophecy Jesus gives that's coming is a thing called the Great Tribulation that's coming. And, and Jesus begins prophesying about this seven-year tribulation that's coming. And he talks about this thing called the abomination of desolation. And just curiosity, how many of you guys know what the abomination of desolation is? You can show your hand. Go right ahead. If you don't, that's just fine. But if you do, I, I do want to see it just because I'm curious. Okay. So I just went through a class that talked about this. Absolutely blew my mind. But the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist will walk into the temple about halfway through the tribulation and place a statue of himself in the temple of God. And at that moment, anyone who won't bow down to this statue in the temple will be persecuted, be tortured, whatever it may be. And so that's why in verse 16 and 17, and I guess 14, all the way really through 17, Jesus says that a man who is alive when this abomination of desolation comes, they need to flee. In verse 14, it says, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. This is coming. And those people who are alive and are worshiping Christ in this moment must flee to the mountains because the Antichrist will not hesitate to persecute anyone who won't bow to his name. They're going to have to flee. And then Jesus dives more into the, the tribulation itself. In verse 18 and 19 and, and following, it says, Pray it won't happen in winter, for those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now, and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. No one would survive the tribulation if God didn't decide that seven years was enough. That's what Jesus is prophesying, that this is coming and it's that bad. No one would survive it. And then we see another prophecy right after this. We see the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus starts prophesying about his own second coming. He prophesies 
and, and describes exactly what's going to be taking place in the moment Jesus comes for the second time. In verse 24, he says, But in those days and after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Verse 27, he, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the, full, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus describes that the sun will go completely dark. I know most of us have had some kind of experience with that, with a solar eclipse or the, the eclipses that we've seen. The sun may go dark for a little bit. But that, imagine that 40 times. The sun will go completely dark. The moon will go completely dark. And then the stars will be falling from the sky. Now, I know, like, when my mind thinks about that, my mind goes to Chicken Little. Or not Chicken Little. Uh, what is it? Um, is it Chicken Little? Is it? Yeah, okay. I was thinking about that. I thought it was Chicken Little, but where, where he's running through the streets and everything's just crashing around him. That's what my mind goes to. That these stars are just going to be pummeling to the ground, destroying cars, destroying buildings. And everyone's going to be wondering what happens, what's going on when they look to the sky and see Jesus Christ coming down to earth with great power and great glory. And then in verse 27, Jesus will send out his angels and gather his elect whom he chose. These people are the, those that have been saved during the tribulation. I can firmly state that because in Revelation 3, verse 10, it shows that Christians will not go through the tribulation. In that verse, it talks about how because Christians have been faithful, Jesus will keep them from the test that is coming. So if you are a Christian today, you have that hope that you don't have to go through this tribulation. And that's a whole other sermon by itself, just talking about pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, premillennialism, whatever you want to talk about. Those are big words. Go to Calvary and you'll learn about them. Now, Jesus prophesies all these things are coming, and he commands the disciples to be ready for them. Because they don't know when these things are actually going to happen. Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour. But we have to be ready for them because we can trust that they are coming. We must trust because we do not know when it will happen. We don't know what day it's going to be, what minute it's going to be, what second it's going to be. It could be right now. Okay, but it could be right now. We have no clue. So we have to trust that it's going to come, and we have to trust God that it's our job to be ready for it. Jesus uses a parable of a fig tree in verses 28 to 31. This tree it was, was common in, in the time. It, you could see him everywhere in Jerusalem, just all around. And Jesus says that in verse 28, learn this lesson from the fig tree. 
as soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you will know that the summer is near. Because that's how it worked. When summer was coming, the fig tree started to sprout leaves. That's how they knew summer was coming. They don't have a groundhog. They just had a tree. In verse 29, Jesus says this, In the same way, when you see these things, the things he was talking about in verse 14 and following, when you see these things, know that it's coming and that tribulation is knocking at the door. And he, Jesus goes on to, to talk about a little bit more of the timing. And honestly, I could do a whole sermon just about 30 and 31. There's just so much in, in there. But I don't want to take too much time this morning. And so, the thing we must learn from this fig tree that Jesus says is that when we see signs of the coming, we have to recognize it. We can't ignore it. When the Jews would see this fig tree begin to sprout leaves, they couldn't just ignore that summer was coming. They had to get ready for summer. In the same way, we can't see signs of the tribulation when it comes and just ignore it. We have to do something about it. And Jesus says in verse 32, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father knows. We have no clue when that day is coming. Only God the Father knows when Jesus' coming is going to happen. Not angels, not even the Son. Jesus Christ is sitting there ready for God the Father to tell him, all right, it's time, let's go. He doesn't know. But I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ is ready for it. He's been preparing and he's ready for that day to come. Another illustration Jesus uses in, in verse 34 and, and following, he says, It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Verse 35, therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming. Now, that's a pretty simple illustration to follow, but I want to go even simpler. Let's say a teacher hands you, in your next class right after this, a 15-page test. It says, all right, I'm leaving, but I want this done by the time I get back. Now, you look at the test frantic because you don't know. This was a surprise. And you come to realize, I know every single question on this test. I know the answers. The thing is, it's still a 15-page test. It's a lot. So the teacher leaves the, walks out the door. No clue when the teacher's going to come back. But they told you they want this test done by the time they get back. Now, you have two options. In that moment, you can... Look at the test and say, uh, I'm just going to lay here, sit around, talk to my best friend who's sitting next to me because the teacher's not here. Or you have an option to dive right in and take that 15-page test and knock it out so that when the teacher walks back in, you can hold your test up and say, I did it. I'm done. And even if you don't get done, you can at least say, 
I tried. I worked my best at it. I didn't finish it, but I tried. Now think about this. How many of you would actually take the test? Or how many of you would sit there and just be lazy? This is basically the same situation we're in as Christians. We have a test right now. We don't know when the teacher's coming back. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. But we have the test to do. We have to go and share the gospel. Spread the gospel. Spread the good news of Jesus Christ before he comes back. Our job as Christians is to build the kingdom before Jesus comes back. We don't know when he's coming back, but we can trust that he is. He said so. Now, this is important to understand. And truthfully, when I was in your guys' shoes, when I got this test, I would have just sat back. But now I finally have grown and I've understood how important this test is to life. This test isn't one that we can just sit back and say, ah, it is what it is. It's just a grade. This is more than a grade. This is life or this is death. We don't have the luxury of sitting around and just waiting and saying, ah, I'll do it when I'm older. Thing is, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could be right now. Have you been doing the test? We have to do it. We have to share the gospel. We have to be the hands and the feet of Christ going out and spreading the good news that we have as Christians. Now, this test, I'm not going to lie, this test is a hard one. It's not easy to do. But the thing is, we have the answers. It's called the Holy Spirit giving us what we have to say. And it's called God's Word telling us exactly how to say it. We can read God's Word and, and know exactly how to go out and witness to any kind of person we'll ever experience. Look at Paul. Paul went and witnessed to, to leaders of courts. Look at Peter. Went and witnessed to people who were nothing. We can look at these examples in Scripture, and, and Jesus included, and know how to witness. We can know how to share the gospel, and we can know how to take the test. Don't, find, don't let Jesus come back and find you sleeping. Let's take the test because we can trust that it's coming. Don't know when, but we can trust it is coming. The final question we need to ask today is who are we trusting? The test is coming, but who are we trusting for this test? We can see in Mark 13 that Jesus is trustworthy. We can see through his two prophecies, give or take a little bit, that have already happened that Jesus is trustworthy. So then we can see in the rest of the prophecies that Jesus is someone who can be trusted. But the question is, who are we putting our trust in? Are we really putting all of our trust and our whole heart behind Jesus Christ and trusting in what his word says? You may be trusting mom, dad, brother, sister, best friend, you name it. You might be trusting them. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. 
we can trust people in life. But when it's all said and done, everyone and everything we trust in this life, if it's not Christ, will let us down. In some way or some manner, they will let us down. I can promise you that. They won't be there. There's going to be one night where you may need your dad or your mom, and they're not going to be there. And it's not on them. They're just busy. But they're not going to be there when you need them. But I'll tell you somebody who will be. Jesus Christ. He'll be there in every instance that we need someone to cry out to. When we're going through something in, in school where we don't know what to do next, Jesus Christ is right there. He will never, ever let you down. That's hard to think about, just because we live in this world of being let down all the time. It's hard to think about that there is somebody that will never let us down. But that's the truth. And again, we can trust Jesus. We can hold him to the promises he says. Whether it be about the end times, or whether it be that he's going to be right there next to you through, every, through thick and thin, through every storm. We can trust that just as much as we can trust that Jesus is coming back. We sit in this world of brokenness, of, of heartache, of broken trust. Trust is easily broken, and it's hard to rebuild. But when you put your trust wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ, you won't be broken. It will not be broken. It's important to ask ourselves, who we're trusting. Because Jesus can be trusted. His promises will come to pass. His promises will always be fulfilled. Now, there are people in this life that are trustworthy, and we should trust. You should trust your parents. You should trust your best friend. You should trust your teachers. But, we should put our wholehearted trust in Christ. A deeper kind of trust in Christ. God is the one person who we can lean on and trust to hold us up through every situation in life. So, who are you really trusting today? Where is your trust at today? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for what you can teach us in Mark 13 about you and, and our own trust and who exactly we can trust in life. God, I am so blessed to serve you and to have you as my God because you have given your son and you, we can trust that he's coming back to take us to heaven again. So God, help us as we go this morning and learn more about life and, and school. God, help us to put our wholehearted trust in you and in your name and who you are, that we can trust that you will be faithful to the end. Lord, and give us light to, to see exactly how to trust you, because it takes time. In your name I pray, amen. Alrighty.